Every business comes to life through its service experience. Your business success depends on whether your customers are loyal to you. That's where real value and profit is created. Great companies ubiquitously have great customer experiences. A thin red line divides those that invest and consistently deliver what their customers need and those that fail and get disrupted. In competitive and challenging times, leaders need to double down on their customer experience. Learn and grow the value you create. Grow your success. Be on the right side of that thin red line. This is the CX Guru with your host, Eric McCroskey, a globally recognized ops and customer experience guru, public speaker, and author. Your business success story begins now. Hi, and welcome to the CX Guru. My name is Eric McCroskey, your host, and I'm very excited to have with me and very honored to have Clint Malman, President and CEO of London Drugs, joining us here on the podcast a true, true customer experience guru who's got great experience behind him. Uh, President and CEO of London Drugs, one of the largest retailers in Western Canada. This spans a, a diverse a, a segments from pharma, electronics, housewares, cosmetics, been around since 1945. Clint, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Eric. Thanks for having me. Excellent. Well, first, I'd love to hear a little bit about how you got into your current role and how it influenced your passion for for customers and customer experience, because I understand you've got an amazing background that, that got you here. Oh, thanks, Eric. Um, I don't know how amazing it is, but it certainly is <laughs> probably non-typical. Um, I say that, but a lot of people in Canada refer to careers in retail as the accidental career, unlike other countries where it's very much a, a focused career. Um, I think mm -hmm. what we see in Canada, or my experience, is, is pretty typical. So I didn't want to work in retail or business, quite frankly, at all. And uh, mm -hmm. I, I wanted to be a National Parks Warden um, in Canada's National Park System. <laughs> you know, dangling wow. below a helicopter, climbing off the side of some mountain and, and rescuing people or chasing bears out of a campsite. So all my previous experience <laughs> before getting into this was focused on that. So I worked in logging camps and on fish boats and in pulp mills and sawmills all and up, up and down the British Columbia coast. Um, I grew up in a then very small town, Gibson's Landing, where my grandparents had been up there since the 30s. Mm -hmm. And so I think one of the first uh, parts that influenced me is the reality of, you know, in a, every small town, everyone knows your experience. And that always right. stuck with me is that uh, when you come into a big city, the neighborhoods are still a small town. And word, word of mouth mm. is still very critical today. It just has different forms, electronic forms of spreading. But uh, so because I wanted to become uh, a National Parks Warden, I was corresponding with the Chief Warden of Jasper at the time. And he saw, he yep. saw this big recession uh coming in the 1980s that would influence how they would hire and, and recommend I get some uh, management experience because they thought they would be managing contracts. Turned out that he was correct. So I went to school for a couple of years of management and, and had to move from the coast into Vancouver area. And uh, like any good rugby player, I was running out of beer money very quickly and I needed a part-time <laughs> job. 
and never heard of this company, Lennon Drugs. I had to walk by it on my, my way to uh, BCIT at the time. And finally, uh, they had had an, uh, an advertisement. So I started as a part-time stock guy uh, at one of their original uh -huh. stores. And, you know, I'd never had a job in my life that something wasn't trying to drown me, eat me, or cut a major limb off. So I thought this was kind of, you, know, <laughs> you, could, you could work inside and interact with people. Um, and so very quickly, I realized that there was something different about uh, this company. The employees seemed to stay uh, longer and they, they talked a lot about their then fairly new owner, the Louis mm -hmm. family with great passion. Right. And it was, uh, it was a time of change. Lennon Drugs in the, up until the early 80s was known as a bit of a maverick retailer, very focused on mm -hmm. uh, price, deal, you know, pile them high, watch them buy, almost, uh, you know, a liquidator dollar store type feel to it with, uh, with a pharmacy known for taking on city halls. And so I was very fortunate to see the transition. It was very clear at that time to the then executive that price oriented retail in the uh, time of real Canadian superstore making a break across Canada. Um, later, a few years later, Walmart, it was rumored that Walmart was going to come up at that time. Mm -hmm. And we knew as a company, we had to be different. And so all employees and certainly starting in BC get uh, timed with the World's Fair of Expo 86, started to make a transition into more of a customer service focused and, and uh, we started our training around that. So I guess what I was very fortunate in my journey, having started as a part-time stock guy and I worked as a, a sales supervisor, which is our frontline um, management position in stores. I worked uh, my way up to store management, uh, managed stores in, in Lower Mainland and Vancouver Island. Mm -hmm. uh, being a single store manager for any retailer is very different when you head offices a ways away. I worked... Yep. Uh, as a district manager, I was responsible for the company's first, uh, then called re-engineering or efficiency uh, program, um, developed management training programs for the company. I flipped back into uh, human resources as the lead for human resources and also responsible for the company's logistics system, um, and then flipped back into operations and then suddenly uh, uh, arrived at my role that I am in, in today. And I think because I've I've worked in so many different areas of the company, it's given me a real sense of uh, how the company can operate it and the missing disconnects where people may not have felt connected to the customer walking into the front of the store. And a lot of my journey has been trying to tell people in a night shift in a warehouse that they have just as much impact to customer experience as, right. uh, as someone that's working the cash in a store. And, and I love that that background. And it really, in terms of, that tends to be a lot of what's missing when, when people are looking at customer experiences. They're looking at a very narrow view. I mean, you're, you're linking back to a small town is so true because in a small town, you don't have as many opportunities to make or break it. Uh, you've got to consistently make it uh, in terms of, of the quality of the experience. Otherwise, that word spreads. And when you've touched so many different roles, you really see how, the customer experience needs to holistically touch the business all the way into HR, where it's really touching on culture and individuals. So, so that's a phenomenal background, and, and I'm sure has has helped you a lot in terms of driving customer experience forward. Thank you. Uh, 
can you can you share maybe a little bit in terms of how, how do you drive customer experience across a very large distributor organization? Your uh, your stores span uh, almost pretty much half half the the country. Canada being one of the largest countries in the world, um, not necessarily a lot of opportunities for people to connect person to pay, person. Uh, huge service territory, large distributor organization. How, how do you drive impact so that it's consistent wherever I show up? Well, I think you raise the key point, which is consistency and, and the consistency of services, every retailer's goal and nightmare at the same time. So the basic <laughs> formula that we strive for, it has to start with who you hire and their natural service orientation. And we spend a lot mm -hmm. of times trying to refi refine that even in very difficult uh, hiring environments. One of my, my golden pieces of advice, as I say to every management is, is that, you know, no matter how easy or difficult it is to hire, because um, we go through ups and downs, is don't panic right. hire. Because every panic hire to, to fill a role ultimately will cost you time and a lot of uh, ill will if the person doesn't have a real service orientation. So we spend a lot of time with that. We spend uh, a lot of focus in our new hire orientation to make sure that there's real clarity of mission, what they're there to do. Um, it's something as right. simple as reminding them that their job is not to fill the shelves. If it's a new employee and they're hired to stop, they're, that, that, that filling the shelf stops the moment that a customer is in their presence and that, um, that that's, that's the focus. Um, we reinforce constantly through messaging. Uh, we reinforce through recognition, uh, performance management in, in our performance reviews, our brand framework that we call it is, is in front of customers. That brand framework um, has right in its core essence to go above and beyond the expected for our customers and to describe how we take care of people and make their lives less complicated. And we actually describe the behaviors uh, and attributes that we expect from every employee. So it's constantly reinforced. We celebrate it wherever we can. We have a program called the Nobody Does It Better uh, Recognition System, and it's a, a series or layers, if you will, of recognizing. So it can be peer-to-peer, uh, recognition of a, a little note that you can send of how you appreciate someone. Um, we celebrate yep. with gift cards for all those notes of great service, whether they be a customer write-in or a, an email. Um, and then for the ones that are, are really outstanding, we have what we call our President's Award System. And we send, um, we don't have a restriction on the amount of people, but it seems based on the categories about uh, six to eight people plus their significant others um, once yep. a year to a world famous resort, uh, Sonora Resort on the BC coast. And that's the equivalent of about six to $8,000 for the employees. So, you know, the stories, it, it, we're a very um, oral cultural, if I can use that term company. So we, we really find that telling stories is a great way to outline the expectations. And so we do a lot of that. Uh, right now I have a twice a week uh, COVID specific newsletter and every single one of those newsletters where we celebrate someone that's gone over and above from a service perspective with our customers. But I'll, I'll give you a couple quick quick stories sure, just sure. to kind of reinforce what we do. So 
Uh, one of uh, a, a very famous story is a relatively new employee at that time. Um, it's working in the warehouse. It's December uh, 24th or 23rd, pardon me. Um, a store phone from Alberta saying that they miskeyed their uh, Christmas wrap order and they wanted to order some more wrap. The truck was sealed and actually had left our distribution center. Right. And this relatively new employee at the time, Mick Close, um, literally said, well, that won't do. And you have to keep in mind that, <laughs> well, Christmas wrap is important. The vast majority of sales had been done by then. Um, and right. most of it was being sold at, you know, half off. So it wasn't going to make a material difference to the company's sure. results. But what Miklos was responding to is the store had an ask. That is his customer. And he would go to the end of the earth to do it. So he had an old Suzuki Swift. It was right out of a, 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 a kid's storybook, the way it looked. And so he yeah. literally strapped as many cases on top of his car and on his trunk and shrink wrap them to the top of the Suzuki Swift. You can well imagine uh, the, the look it had. Um, and sure. chased, chased the truck down the highway, found the transportation truck, uh, persuaded him to break the seal in the truck, which we don't do for loss prevention purposes, just to, right. to make sure that that store, who was his customer, uh, wouldn't disappoint wow. their customers. Another story of a recent President Awards winner, um, uh, a, a, a customer purchased uh, an appliance, a fairly large appliance from us. And uh, Randy Waller, one of our employees up in Kelowna, um, the customer wanted to return it because she was having frustrations of setting it up. Um, yeah. Wendy went with her husband actually to the customer's home, uh, got it all set up for her. The appliance showed her how to how to use it. The husband noticed that actually that there is a wheel missing on this appliance. So he went out and uh, went down to the local hardware store, as I understand it, uh, found an, an appropriate set of wheels, repaired it right there on the spot, um, and made sure that this elderly customer knew uh, that they wow. could call Wendy or her husband anytime and they'd be over it. And I think that part really explains the part of the community that uh, people like Wendy and her husband uh, make a big. We've got lots of, we often joke, we have uh, these ghost employees that are with us that are our employees, significant others that uh, also contribute. So there are a couple quick stories of the thousands we have of our employees' devotion for service. I love it. And I, and I think I completely agree that this, there's a lot of elements you're talking about that are highly cultural in terms of who you hire, how you bring them on board, uh, how do you reinforce and so forth. But uh, emphasis on stories really is, is, is key because it brings it to life. It's like this is, this is what we're looking for because it's those little moments and, and how do you replicate it. So I think this is phenomenal in terms of, of, uh, of ideas and, and how do you create stories around it in the organization. Yeah, I think one of the key things that we struggle with as a retailer, like every company, we have policies and procedures, yep. and they're there to protect the customer. They're there to protect the employee and the, co the company. So when you have things in black and white and people that don't uh, automatically assume they have the authority, how do you describe how far you can go? Sure. And so we find that stories give a really good opportunity for people to put a policy book aside and say, look, I remember someone being awarded well for bending the, the policy in this case. 
And so that's a that's another example why we find stories quite effective. It, it brings to mind a, a story of a of a transformation. I, I, you probably have heard this one. This was Continental Airlines many many moons ago. It was notoriously as the worst airline you could fly in the U.S. in terms of customer experience, and uh, they had gone through two times bankruptcy protection. And then there's a gentleman who came in, Gordon Bethune, and, and the biggest challenge was people were so um, so focused on the rule book that they didn't want to to deviate from it. And if something was was not normal, people would just quote the rules, and, and that was the biggest one of the biggest. Uh, challenges that they had. And so he created a, a symbolic bonfire where he, he burned down a lot of the books, but he started telling stories around what does great customer experience look like and giving more autonomy in terms of choices and decisions that people are making, reinforcing those with stories, but still correcting if the decision was the wrong one, if it was unsafe to do something, if something had gone down the wrong path, then there would be some coaching on what a better decision looks like. Yeah, I think that's a, a, an absolute brilliant story to, to raise because you, you touch a, a key item, which is that when you're going through any form of or announce a change, it's the transition for employees that is often the difficult part. And they're constantly looking to see if management is serious about what they're talking about. And the symbolic burning of a policy is really the essence, core essence of psychological change is to make a clear statement yep. you're not going back. And as long as you've painted and portrayed uh, what good looks like in the future, then it's a matter of helping them quickly through the neutral zone of change, as, as uh, William Bridges would refer to. Agreed. So, so you, you talked a little bit about uh, customer experience, what success looks like. How, how do you measure it? And, and do you measure it to to help reinforce what goodness looks like in this space? We do, and we, we've changed our measurements at increments over the years. We used to have uh, so-called secret shoppers for time and, and their effect, especially when you're, when you're doing change management to help more importantly, instantly celebrate. That was the key part of that program. Um, but I think, um, you know, the ultimate measurement is about repeat customers and who they tell yep. and the wonderful, you know, sales are always lagging indicators. Uh, they only reflect right. what happened. Uh, the wonderful thing about retail is you're only as good as yesterday and customers vote with their feet or their, their mouse clicks or their touch of their smartphone. So, you know, pretty, pretty quickly, even with sales being a la lagging indicator, if you're hitting the mark, but, um, social media, um, is a wonderful way today. You know, we look and study a lot of social media content and sentiment, um, how people are talking about us, uh, because that's the one thing you could never do in the so-called pre-social media days or the old days. You couldn't couldn't actually measure word of mouth. Well, social media goes a long way to give you a pretty good idea of uh, what people are saying to you in, in a greater sphere. Obviously, we look at regular media sentiment. If there's an article on something we, we've done, our teams look at what the customer comments might be after that publication. Of course, customer correspondence. Best part of my day is when I get to uh, talk to a customer directly that's written a, a letter, good or bad, and I'm particularly the bad ones because it gives me an opportunity to really hear where the gaps are, and they're almost 100% communication. 
you know, customers are very understanding for stockouts and certainly during COVID times. Sure, sure. Uh, we look at our customer care center stats. So this is our employees here in Richmond. We made a very conscious decision never to outsource our our call center uh, anywhere else. They're armed with people that are primarily from our stores. So they, they know the local conditions. They understand what it's like to work in retail and, and uh, can talk to the customer in those terms. Of course, we use longitudinal measures uh, like customer satisfaction scores. Uh, we have a pretty yep. sophisticated brand tracking survey that's done um, uh, at, a, at a, the same interval. And the important part about that isn't so much our score, but it tells us how we're doing to, relative to our competition. One of the great sure, sure. challenges in, in helping people understand about service is a lot of times we only think of the transactional side, you know, me to you, how are we interacting? Were you satisfied with that? But what we try and I try very hard to coach people is to remind that service is relative. So it's constantly changing. It's constantly a battle of what customer experience means in their particular context. So uh, as an example, when we study people's um, behaviors and attitudes towards interacting on our e-commerce platform, um, there's a very different experience rating between, uh, I would say millennials to Gen Y uh, versus someone that is a boomer. Um, the millennials in Gen Y have experienced a lot of different e-commerce sites. And so they have a, a right. much higher expectation of even things like latency speed for how fast you click and search sure. comes back. Where a boomers may have their favorite retailer and as long as it's satisfying a, a very specific need, they may be very satisfied. Um, there was a great, the Canadian Broadcasting System, CBC, did a, 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 an expose several years ago, and I think uh, we've used it to illustrate to, to people the customer context. The same retailer yep. in that survey won both the worst customer service and the best customer service in Canada. And, of course, that's a bit of a head-scratcher. How can that happen? And it was a Walmart at the time, and the worst customer service was those customers that valued uh, people-oriented service, someone being uh, able to explain a product, um, to go that extra mile. For those that just wanted to be able to find someone, and more importantly, they, they uh, equated service with price, which a lot of people don't think service is, but there's a big group that do, Walmart was number one. And so okay. I, I think the, uh, uh, the COVID has definitely changed people's uh, perception of what service is right now. Sure. I mean, if you'd asked a customer back in January about uh, cleanliness and, and uh, how safe they feel, I don't think it would score as a top 10 measurement. Today, it's number one. Definitely not. Yeah, so right. it's, a, it's a very good area when you're measuring customer service. And for me, one of the most important things I do is, is do my very best to be present in stores, talking to customers, talking to frontline staff, um, not management, not to catch them doing anything wrong, but I want to hear unfiltered what's getting in the way, whether it be a system, whether it be a, a tool that the people need, whether they sure. feel they weren't trained properly. And I see my job as kind of like a big bulldozer to get those things out of people's way as, as quickly as practically we can. And it also helps you, I'm sure, reinforce some of those stories, 
um, but see the opportunities and, and just connect with the day to day in terms of where what customers are looking for. So I think that's that's phenomenal. The, this whole talk concept of management by walking around, amazing way of connecting as well with a lot of employees. Same for time. sure. If they don't see the president bringing buggies in from the parking lot when <laughs> approaching the store or something as simple as, uh, you know, if we're traveling together, we park at the end of the parking lot, not close, because, you know, these little reinforcement points, is it's about the customer. It's not about us. Uh, you sure. know, it, it, it it always starts and ends with the uh, modeling the way uh, as individuals for each other. A hundred percent. So, so the retail landscape is is rapidly being disrupted. Uh, a lot are talking about it. Uh, what are some of the things that you've been successful to help bring a strong future uh, with London Drugs? Yeah, it's certainly, you know, this prior to COVID, it was often referred to as the retail apocalypse, which was probably oversold. <laughs> but um, I think the biggest reality that's happening to retail that we re constantly reinforce, frankly, to governments of all type, because they really have a hard time understanding this, is retail no longer competes locally. Your um, corner store, your shop does no longer go out the front door and you look left and look right and that's your competition. We Virtually everything we sell can be ordered from anywhere in the world or sent away for service cheaper than what we can sell it for. You just Your smartphone, if you spend enough time, you will find a cheaper sold price, which is often number one or two consideration for customers. Um, has really blown retail apart. And I think it's caused customers to also see selection uh, that they may not have seen before. So then again, so if uh, what's our, our competitive strategy? Why would customers come to us? So we spend uh, a lot of time on our strategy over uh, the last several years, especially, um, that focusing on what can a person get online? What is, is near impossible to digitize? So inventory now, I mean, the retail exists because customers don't want to wait. And I think COVID has been a great example where when the supply chain is stressed and deliveries, um, you know, if you needed something immediately, you would go to a store. Uh, you can't afford to wait the three or four days. Services, services are critical. Uh, tapping into customers' social instincts and needs, wanting to, uh, work with companies that have uh, social license to, to, to work and aren't taking from the community. Um, experience is some of the areas that we concentrate on. So I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, sure. In the consumer electronic space, which is arguably one of the areas most impacted by the digitization of major product categories. Sure, sure. Think movies, think computer software, uh, you know, Probably six short years ago, seven short years ago, we had 20 feet of computer software in boxes. Today, it's a, a chip clip of, of uh, cards for downloads. Um, even music, you know, CDs, um, you know, with all, all the different music services. So that area got disrupted very early on and digitized. But it doesn't mean you banned in the area. So we had a very wise buyer, Colin Cottrell, who could see sense more uh, that there was going to be this need for experience. I want music, but, uh, you know, I've either got, you know, my quick and dirty MP3 4 files or I want something different. So he started bringing in vinyl records and uh, a lot of people thought, 
you know, we're absolutely crazy <laughs> thinking that vinyl would ever come back. Um, but sure. because we were looking through a lens of experience and not through a lens of unit sales, it made that decision much more easy for us. Um, services. Um, Apple uh, tells us for periods of time during the, the pandemic in the last few months, London Drugs, a little old drugstore in Western Canada, was the largest authorized Apple repair service center in their network in North America, including their own stores. Wow. So, again, um, trying to think of what are those areas that customers have fallen in love with and can't do without, and then how do we support that customer in wanting to make their digital journey was very much uh, for services. On the health side, which is the core of our business, of course, uh, we've been constantly trying to offer different services for, for decades now that evolve with the scope of practices that to the different colleges allow. So, you know, the goal is to transition pharmacy from simply filling prescriptions and counting five by five, as, as we talk about, to cognitive services that truly result in better health outcomes for customers. So, you know, things like travel medicine, prescribing for minor minor ailments, um, you know, custom, customers just can't get in to see doctors like they used to. And so in the different provinces of Canada that allow that, that that's been a, a game changer for a lot of customers' experience. If they've got a, a young child screaming with uh, an ear infection late at night, being able to, to get that first course of amoxicillin to help them out and, and, and before they can get to the doctors, is life-changing for that parent. Um, during COVID, uh, you know, we were one of the first test stores um, in Canada to do um, asymptomatic testing on behalf of the government of Alberta for, for tracking. Um, we, and on the business-to-business -business side, you know, doing reviews for small businesses about how they're spending their healthcare dollars so they can maximize their benefits for employees and, and get better health outcomes. Lifestyle counseling. Uh, we do a lot of one-to-one uh, -one monitoring of these very high-cost biologic drugs that are, are life-changing sure, for sure. these customers, but require one-on-one -on -one patient monitoring for adherence. And, of course, immunizations, all those types of things are part of the shift of what we've been trying to do with, with healthcare and create a different environment. That, that, that really, I think that makes sense because it, it becomes uh, points of difference versus something I can just point and click online and try to find whoever is the cheapest to, to deliver. And I'm sure when somebody comes in, then they may also pick up something else because it's, they're already inside the, your store. Exactly. Exactly. You know, you're 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 not trying to just get people into the store with toilet paper that's at a cheap price. Anymore. Yeah, <laughs> not the best way to win in in that category. There's always, uh, COVID, as we as we always ahead. joke, there's always someone bigger. There's always someone that can write a bigger check than us. So the, that being yeah. the primary way to compete, you're always going to be up against some pretty tough competition. And your margins are always going to be eroded because there's always somebody who's going to be willing to sacrifice more for that extra penny uh, to, to swap you over if that's the shopper you're trying to get. Exactly. Uh, so COVID-19 has also shifted a lot from a customer experience standpoint, just thinking about use of masks, thinking about uh, the social distancing. It means a lot of things that you used to be able to do, you may no longer be able to do, even the stories you shared before about the person going to somebody's home to fix the uh, the, the appliance. Um, 
how has that shifted and how do you continue to drive great customer experiences in, in kind of these, these difficult, challenging times? Well, there's a couple things. First of all, um, as deemed as an essential retailer, we had to adjust and be very nimble um, uh, in the early days of COVID to meet our community mandate uh, of being open while keeping our staff and customers safe. And we have been relentless on our commitment to safety. We've not, um, I think it's fair to say that you, as people have got complacent as COVID has gone on, uh, it's, you've seen some standards in retail slap and that's not been the case of lending drugs. However, we're also a merchant, so our job is to respond to customer needs. Um, at the start of the pandemic, it was, of course, all about uh, our team scouring the globe to find pockets of the inventory people wanted around PPE and personal cleaning um, and working with trusted partners to shore up supply chains. One of the things that we believed early on, and, and I think it's proven to be true, is that Customers would need to be very efficient in their shop. They weren't going to be prepared to go to multiple retailers to find what they needed. Um, so they wanted to go to a trusted place that kept them safe. They could get almost all their shopping done in one spot to minimize trips and also buy trusted products. And buying trusted products means trusted advice from people who are knowledgeable to prevent a return, yep. uh, to prevent returning to the store. And so that's where, that's been a philosophical approach to this, which is consistent with who we are. We also connected with the community. Uh, we did things like having uh, one, of the, one of the first retailers in North America to have first responder hours. Uh, we certainly had seniors hours like lots of other retailers. We created a hotline where people could email or call to ensure that their loved ones or seniors who were shut in could have the essentials delivered to them. We had people contacting us from right. Europe as an example to ensure parents had what they needed. We created what we call wow. Local Central, where we invited small business entrepreneurs in our neighborhoods that were cut off from selling their, their wares locally because they didn't have an e-commerce presence to, um, we cleared our shelves and said, come on in and, and uh, you're all in this together. We're part of the community. And the customers really responded well to that and, and realize that, you know, business can support each other. And uh, there was a real customer sentiment about wanting to support their small business. You know, fortunately, as the economy's opened up, that's not as necessary. I think one of the most inspiring and fun things we did, uh, and it was really inspiring to our stores, our, our uh, stores, was right at the outset, uh, there was a cry, bad timing, of course, what COVID has done to so many, but the Girl Guides of Canada were just about ready to launch their famous cookie drive and right. had no way of safely doing that with um, the youth that they had. So we stepped up and, and we took in, um, you know, many, 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 many uh, warehouse, you know, half a warehouse full of uh, cookies and um, yep. sold them online across Canada and, and helped them achieve their fundraising goals. And as we said to them, as much as that's great for the community and, and great for the Girl Guides, it was we did that in the very early days of COVID and, and it gave our employees a real rallying positive something to do. So obviously from a business impact, the, the extremely high cost of operations at this time has been the biggest business impact. Obviously all these cleaning sure, routines, sure. PPE, high use of credit cards, uh, very high theft rates, extra payroll, 
um, and the massive in transportation costs. And it's been particularly challenging to our margins, right? Because customers are wary of any price increase. So that's a few of the things we've been doing during uh, COVID. I, I love the 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 elements around kind of connecting to the community it links back to kind of where you started at, at the front end of, of of the conversation we had. Um, I think that's a that's a phenomenal story. Just just in terms of driving that link and trying to find ways to to help each other business, helping other businesses, um, really powerful. And, and I, I know I was one in, in one of your stores just probably before the pandemic hit. I think, or at least before it became big news. Uh, it was probably at the end of February, and I remember walking into one of your stores in in Vancouver. Uh, and and uh, we were the only retailer where somebody was willing to come help to find something that was equivalent to a Lysol wipe, which is what I was trying to get, which was <laughs> off all your shelves. And, yeah. and somebody was willing to try to find something that was comparable that didn't look like a Lysol wipe. wipe and finally, I did did end up finding something. Yeah, uh, but in yeah. those days, nobody wanted to talk to you. <laughs> yeah, and I think that that's part of the misinformation campaigns uh, that unfortunately started to drive out. I mean, as we know, the, the fundamental of consumer behavior, which is very instrumental for services, that people don't respond to facts. And having to remind our staff that factual uh, motivation for people isn't always what's going on, so. Uh, so, so last closing thought, or you've talked about it quite a bit uh, already, but any parting thoughts in terms of uh, the, the future of customer experience in retail in the next 10 years? And, and I know we've talked quite a few about themes around COVID and, and uh, as well about retail in general, but any other thoughts that you think in terms of uh, where, where, where we go from here over the next 10 years? Well, there's a couple things that stand out for me that we're working through is customers will continue to have access to simply mind-boggling, amazing digital tools. And uh, there will certainly be a bit of a space race, if I can use that, for by retail, which can provide the best digital tools. But we believe that there's still a large group of area that people will be looking for that social human interaction as well. Now, that could be digital, like peer comments, ratings, reviews, and I think they're going to continue to grow in importance. You know, a, a peer... Uh, um, someone in my tribe is still more important to me than someone yep. that I don't know. Uh, I think uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning will enhance better in-stock rates uh, that are definitely going to drive superior personalization and communication. Um, but there's still a lot of room for intuition. So, you know, everything about AI and machine learning would have told our buyer, Kong Cottrell, that it was nuts to introduce final records before the curve. <laughs> For you know, sure. There's still that ability to stand back and watch. Um, AI and machine learning is very good at identifying the the known data spaces. What, as, as humans, we've always had a chance and a challenge to look at the blank space and where could people be going in absence of data. And I think that'll be the exciting part. Customers internal experiences, um, or I should say international experiences uh, and international migration is also gonna continue to push the expectation of good looks like. Um, for those people listening that have ever shopped in a department store in Japan or taken a transit system there, you know that the basic experience in Japan is miles above what we think is good in North America. And I think, I think people will be much more focused on traceability and knowing what and how goods are made 
they're consuming, they'll be far better educated and therefore will have the ability to be much more discerning. So I think those are some things that we're, and I am, I'm looking forward to seeing how we can meet those uh, challenges in the years to come. These are phenomenal, uh, phenomenal thoughts. And, and I, I would hate to imagine what uh, AI machine learning would have done with uh, toilet purchases, toilet paper purchases, if it had been let uh, loose or, or even trying to reimagine what, what we'll need tomorrow. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Perfect. Well, thank you so much for your time. I know you're entering a really busy season uh, for, for London Drugs, and I, I wish you the very best in terms of uh, the, the coming season and, and, and everything that, that comes through in terms of your plans around customer experience. You've done some phenomenal things. Uh, phenomenal retailer, um, definitely have shopped there myself and, and, uh, and love all the stories and the examples that you've shared. So thank you for joining us. Thank you, Eric. Be well and, and be well to all your listeners as well. Sounds good. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. Like what we do? Share this on your socials and tell everyone. Thank you for listening to the CX Guru on C-Suite Radio. Increase the value you create, grow your brand, drive your success, distinguish yourself from the pack. Come back in two weeks for the next episode or listen to our sister show, The Ops Guru with Eric McCroskey. Fuel your future. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.